You're listening to The Radiant Podcast with Kelsey Chapman. Welcome back to The Radiant Podcast. If you haven't noticed, we've been quiet around here for almost a year at this point. I came to a place of burnout towards the end of 2020, and I'll be honest, I needed to rest in order to get my creativity back. Well, today... I'm back, feeling more rested, more rejuvenated, and more creative than ever, and it's only fitting that I kick back off the relaunch of the Radiant Podcast with my girl, Sarah Bragg. I am so excited to have her on because she's a real one, y'all. She is one of those people that I talk about the things I really care about with, and if I'm honest, the Radiant Podcast started to lose sight of the topics that I really care about discussing around my dinner table at a coffee shop with a friend. And today my conversation with Sarah is just that. As I move forward and release new episodes here at the Radiant Podcast, I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like, but I am going to be more intentional on letting you in on the topics that I really care about. We're not going to have any more author tours of people releasing their book on the same tour that you're hearing on every other show at the moment. We're here to have conversations that I really care about. And if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. We won't have it. And so I'm so excited. I'm just laying that out there, being fully transparent with you. I'm so excited for this conversation Sarah and I are having today because these are reflective of the conversations we have when we get lunch once or twice a year when we're in the same city. We really care about women coming back home to themselves and not fitting in the mold that we've been given on how to be the perfect woman. This is more about how to be the perfect version of you regardless of what others think of you or regardless of the messages you're getting from your social constructs that tell you how to fit in. I think it's going to be a good one. We're here to talk about the release of her new book, even though I just said we're not going to be doing author tours, but it's only because I thought this is really fitting for my people. It's called A Mother's Guide to Raising Herself. And although I'm not a mother, I found this still very helpful for me because it's really about coming back home to yourself. Sarah just learned these lessons while parenting and I'm learning them from her. So I wanted to let you guys in on the conversation today and I can't wait to dive in. So let's get to it. Hey, Sarah. Hi, friend. It is so fun to have you on. I think this is your second time on yes. the Radiant Podcast, and this is the first show we've dropped in almost a year. So it's it. so fun <laughs> we're, to we're have coming you in hot. <laughs> coming in hot. We're going to be speaking the truth. That's right. Telling y'all how we really feel, and <laughs> it feels really fitting for you to be the first guest back because, you know, I took a big break to come back home to myself and to really evaluate what matters to me, what's important. Do I want to do this in the same way I've been doing it? Am I just doing this in the way I think I quote unquote should be doing yep. it? And so it's very fitting that I'm back here having conversations that matter about topics I really want to talk about. And your book is really timely for the season I've been in. It's called A Mother's Guide to Raising Herself. And although I'm not a mother, I feel like, like I said, it's been a season of kind of coming home to myself. Yes. And I know that in parenting your daughters and through writing this book, not only were these realizations you had in parenting, these are realizations that you had that 
applied to yourself mm. that really reminded you of the important topics, the important lessons in life that we all need to learn. So I'd just yeah. love for you to start by sharing your heart behind this. This is not your first rodeo. You've written a book before. Why this topic? Why this conversation right now? I, first of all, need to say, I love that you use that phrase coming home to myself. I think that's exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. Um, and I think that for me, this topic, I don't know, I, you know, I, I, it's one of those where I am a writer and I love to write. And for many years I wrote, like you said, it's not my first rodeo. My first book came out. I think I wrote it when I was 25. I'm now 43. So that was, gosh, I feel like I was a different human then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we've evolved so much as humans over the years. I mean, I was a different person from 25 to 30, you know, but this topic, and even though I love that you say that, you know, I know that you um, are reading it, that it's not just for mothers. It is definitely, it's one of those things where there's things that come in our life that serve as a really great big catalyst for growth and for change. And for like what you said, to kind of push you to come home to yourself, to think about who you really are and what you really want to do and what you want to be about. And, um, and for me, the last, you know, 13 plus years have been raising kids and those kids, man, they have been the biggest catalyst for growth in me because it has been so hard. It has not been easy. And typically things that cause growth in us are things that aren't easy, things that are hard, things that push <laughs> us out of our comfort zone. Right. I heard, I, I interviewed someone on my show, Surviving Sarah, a couple of months ago, and she was like, no good thing comes out of our comfort zone. And I was like, ugh. So Ooh. true, but can we not make that not true? <laughs> <laughs> because that's true. So that's what it is. This book over the last 13 plus years and even more than that, since I wrote my first book has just been thing after thing of coming home to myself, thing after thing of letting the, the biggest pain point. And I say that, I mean, they're cute pain points, but they're still pain points that, you know, um, in my life cause the greatest growth. And so this book is essentially that it's looking at all these different topics, all these different things that I've had to face that as I was really trying to think about raising my girls and who do I want them to be and what kind of human do I want them to be? It started, I started having to take a hard look at myself and going, I'm asking them to be courageous. I'm asking them, you know, my daughter to be brave enough to ask a question. You know, I've never thought how brave that is to ask a question until I had kids. You forget, you know, once you're out of school and you're on, you're like in your workforce where you're kind of feeling comfortable in your place, you forget that simply asking a question requires a level of courage. Um, and we think, oh, courage is like moving across the country or courage is something really big. And there's just ordinary moments of courage that I was asking my girls to do that. Then I had to start going, well, am I being courageous? Am I letting fear drive the car or am I choosing to look at fear and even in the face of fear, choose courage, just like I'm asking them. And those hard, those things that I was having to look at for my girls are what pushed me to kind of grow up in those areas. So really this book is just a whole compilation of all the things that I feel like I've been learning and working on for the last, you know, 13 ish years. 
Yeah, I think it'd be easy for a listener to hear a mother's guide to raising herself. And if they're not a mom or don't plan on becoming a mom, think, oh, this is an applicable to me. I'll, I'll skip it. But I would really encourage listeners to grab it no matter what season of life you find yourself in and whether you want kids or not, because I think I'm similar to you. Sometimes it's easier to do the work on ourselves once there's someone else that's more vulnerable than you at stake learning the lesson. So of course, like you're going to model this lesson because this is your daughter's life on the line and you want them to walk in as much fullness and freedom and joy as possible and like to shortcut that distance versus to have to learn the long hard way. And so I think, you know, whether you have a kid whose life lessons are at stake or not, these are lessons we can all apply to our own lives. It's just, are you going to wait till you're doing it on behalf of someone else? Or are you going to wait and try to implement that right now? Like I love some of the topics that you're talking about in this book, such as courage, such as oh, one, of, one of the sections that I just so resonated in was telling the truth and the small things. And you specifically, you talked about this in one section and then you talked about like the bravery of, you know what? I don't do everything the same way my family does. And I'm committed to showing up bravely doing it my way and letting them in that I might do it differently than them. I might risk belonging when I do it the different way, but I'd rather be authentic to who I am. That's been something I've worked on in therapy in my life of like, oh, I've gotten to a place where I feel like my extended family doesn't know me. My friends know me better than them. Yeah. And then it's like, well, why? Oh, because when they say something that I disagree with, I just smile and make them comfortable versus say, what I believe with equally strong conviction. They're perfectly comfortable sharing their convictions with boldness. Why do I not think that I should do the same? Am I worried about rocking the moat and making them uncomfortable? Although I'm sitting there uncomfortable. Like what is authentic to me? Because I keep waking up and feeling unknown. And the only way to remedy that is to show up as I, who who I truly am, but it requires bravery and it risks. It's so scary. Yes. It's so scary. It's not easy. (laughs) How how do you model that for your daughters? Because obviously this is a love letter to them, but that means putting this into practice for yourself. I love the Bible study story about cussing. Can you please tell us and just (laughs) tell us how this plays out in your life? Oh, yes. It's like, you just have to get to the point, kind of like what you said, where you're just tired of not being known. And you're tired of the performance. I felt like I was performing for everybody. And, and then I thought, is it really worth it? Like, this is my one life to get to the end of it. And nobody actually knew who I was. Like I never showed anybody my true self. And, and so the story that you're talking about, I I was um, at a Bible study and you know, as Bible studies typically are, they talk about Jesus. And so, you know, that's fine. And I was, you know, I was just ready to like move on and we hopped, we were leaving and, and I, you know, I just cuss. That's who I am. My girls know I cuss. Like I, I know when to cuss and when not to cuss. all the things, all the Southern politeness, we, we understand it all. We know, you know, we're emotionally um, intelligent here. But anyway, so I was, you know, just saying something and, you know, a cuss and I, you know how you kind of read the room. Oh, sorry. Like, 
here we are. We just like <laughs> left talking about Jesus. And, and then I'm like sitting here like cussing. So I'm sorry if that ruined your, you know, your spiritual vibe. And in the, in the, one of the girls that was with us, she said, well, that's okay, Sarah. Like we love you despite of who you are. <laughs> she meant it like it's okay that you cuss because she followed it. Then that's how we know we need Jesus because we see these flaws. We see these mistakes. <laughs> it was such a big learning curve for me because it was one of those moments where I went, oh, I want to be loved because of who I am. Like because I cuss at moments that, that I can, I can swing from a Bible study to, you know, cussing, whatever. Like it's, it's just like somebody's got, I want to belong and to be loved because of who I am. And it wasn't that like I left that group forever and was like, I'll never be friends with those people. It was just those moments of going, I'm going to choose to be brave enough to show up who I am, whether that makes those people uncomfortable or not. I will read the room better next time and, you know, try to not like totally throw people under the bus. But, um, I think it's just one of those moments where we have to learn to be okay with who we are, that we are worthy of love because of who we are, not despite that there's, oh, we love you, but you know, even though you are loud or even though you've made these mistakes, no, like we love all of you period as is no prerequisite. And the more that you began showing up, I don't know, the, the braver you get with every, every step for sure. Man, I, I really resonate with that because I really experienced that in my family, but also moving again, you know, I'm from the South. I know how to be polite. I know how to be an ideal Christian Southern woman, yes. but I've been in Colorado where it's a bit of a different ball game for the last five years and our specific church community we were part of. And our friend group was just a little rougher around the edges. And I loved it because it felt like this is actually who I truly am. Like it's not they are rough around the edges. I'm rougher around the edges. I am not mm -hmm. as zipped up as I can portray that I am because right. I can be a code switching extraordinaire and be whoever I need to be in any environment. But do I want to? Just because I can, yes. do I want to? I yes. want to be who I am on my podcast, at church, right, at my friend's house for a cookout. I want to be the same person across the board. And of course, there are times that it's appropriate to, you know, maybe not drop an F-bomb in the middle of the church lobby, <laughs> although I've seen it done, right. it's very refreshing, you know, right. but like I cuss day to day and I don't want to hide that. And I, I just don't want to constantly shift in and out of who I think yes. I need to be to win approval and acceptance and belonging. That's one of my favorite topics you covered in the book. Well, and I think it's one of those things. It's just it's just really easy to keep performing and to not be who you are. And I'm not talking about like, I'm going to throw it in your face, like who I am. You know what I mean? Like taking this posture. I, one of the, my favorite things that Brene Brown says, and I heard her say it in the midst of the 2020 chaos. And she said, I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. And she's like, when I go into situations with people with hard conversations, or you, I think that when you're going into a situation where you're wanting to show up as yourself, remember, I'm here to get it right, not be right. I'm here to get it right, not be right. That helps me 
to have conversations that are hard sometimes where like someone is like what you kind of described when we first started talking about this, where you're feeling uncomfortable because you, you think differently and you have a choice to make. Do I sit silently and nod in agreement or do I speak up? And when I remember I'm here to get it right, not be right. I come at it with a posture of like, it's more of a, a kind posture, I guess is the best word and a more curious posture. And so it's not throwing who I am in your face and you're going to have to deal with, you know, these F bombs. I don't know. It's this like showing <laughs> up and, and being, you know, Hey, like I'm here to get it right. Like that's, I'm, that's interesting. I, I hear what you're saying. I can see your point, but for me, I, and you feel like that, that's such a better posture to engage these conversations um, in a way where you get to show up as yourself, you get to let that person see a little bit more of who you are without, you know, feeling like you have to jump in the deep end and like just splash all in their face of this is who I am now, you know, like, but then y'all don't have to keep pretending this. There's a way to do that with curiosity and kindness. I think so too. And, and the word that came to mind as you were saying that for me was just like, compassion, compassion for them and for yourself. It's not swinging on a pendulum where at one point you're compassionate just to them and not at all to yourself. So you just, you know, crush every part of who you are to be compassionate, to make them feel comfortable. But then the, the flip side is you're unkind to their journey by throwing it in their face. So like, can we have right. somewhere in the middle where we're compassionate to both sides experiences? and ultimately make room for both. Yes. It just takes a lot of work and a lot of intentionality. I have to like literally coach myself ahead of time. A lot of times. <laughs> oh, me too. Especially, yeah. especially for family stuff, friend mm -hmm. stuff at this point in life, it's, it's more, comf it's, it's more it's comfortable easier. at this point yeah. for me to be like, okay, that person's going to be a cool friend, but not my home team. Yeah. Easy. But like your family, you want to be known we all have to pick our hills to die on with our family, but how do we be known? And mm. even if a group's not going to be my home team, that is a friend group. I still want to be like relatively known. Yes. I don't, I don't personally love the feeling of code switching between yes. camps. I flutter between it feels bad. It, you just and, get and tired. Yes. You just yeah. get tired. And I do think there's, and I think this is normal. I think everybody should realize that I think all of us feel this way. If you've ever left your house, like grew up, and left your house, you have likely grown and developed and changed a little bit. Like I can remember the first time that we moved, um, I moved back to Tennessee after living in California and Atlanta for a while, we moved back. And I felt like, even though I was probably 30, I felt like everybody knew the Sarah that was 16, 17, 18 and everybody. And I was like, I'm not that person anymore. And it really was hard for me to, to go. But, but the truth is we can allow people to keep us in those boxes of who we want were, or we can allow people to get to see how we've grown and the things that have shaped us along the way that we've been away when it comes to our family, like to start dipping our toe. I wish I had done that sooner. I felt like I waited until I was practically 40 to really start using my own voice and saying the things that I think in my own family. And I wish I had started that earlier. And, and but that's just, it's just true, right? Like I'm different than 16. You're different than, you know, 22. Like, you know, we just all grow and evolve and our families need to get to know who we are now. That's a good word for me right now, as I'm settling <laughs> back in after being gone for five or six years and seeing people and kind of 
reacquainting ourselves yes, with yes. like, this is how we've both evolved in right. six years, you know? And so that's all that's you've a, gone through, all you've gone through in those six years that have like shaped you. There's just been yeah. so much, like it would be odd if you came back exactly the same. It would, you know, one thing I can't ignore as we talk about this is it requires vulnerability. It is mm. very, um, it sounds shiny and glossy to say, I'm just going to be who I really am. But that <laughs> choice comes with vulnerability when you don't switch into what's just appropriate for a given setting. And you decide to be the fullness of who you are rejection mm. showing up as who you really are versus who you think you should be is a lot different. Like it, there's yeah. a lot more skin in the game. So how have you navigated that? And how do you even, see that playing out for your girls. I mean, mm -hmm. like it, again, it, a lot more is at stake when you're mm -hmm. showing up, showing up authentically. You know, it's really, it's not easy. Rejection of any kind and at any age is, it still hurts. Like it still hurts. And, and in fact, like there's been, even just with, like, I think writing this book has been one of the most vulnerable things that I have done. And it was one of those biggest steps that I said, oh, hey, everybody, here's, here's who I am. And if you didn't know, read the book. Now, you know, like, it was like such a lot. Let me just, let's just take care of everybody learning at the same time. It's fine. And so with that, you know, there was even some friends who are getting a chance to, read these things about me. And I feel like they're learning some about me for the first time on, on a real known level, on a real vulnerable level. And I feel like I've faced a little bit of rejection from them of, you know, not going to share the book or not going to, you know, acknowledge this. And, and I take it as, you know, it feels like rejection. And I have been working on being generous with my thoughts towards them, you know, like giving them what is the most generous thought I can give them a reason why. Um, I've been working on saying, if, if I value allowing myself to show up and be who I am, what we've been talking about, I need to allow them to be who they are in whatever form that is. And if my book doesn't represent who they are, and that's, I need to let that be okay. Um, and really working on maybe we weren't as close to friends as I thought we were or, and, and going, that's okay for this season, maybe it's changed. But um, I think that's a real possibility when we begin to step into who we are, that we might face some rejection. We might face some relationships changing. And I just say, it's not easy. No, there's no magic pill I can sell you on. I wish there was you and I would be rich if we could sell a magic pill to deal with rejection, but it just is what it is. And, but you can still show up and do the own work in your own heart. I think the biggest thing that for me, and I think this is universally true that we have to guard against is resentment um, of allowing that rejection to uh, lead towards resentment towards others. And so keeping ourselves open by being generous in our thoughts and, um, and then just working on, you know, those kind that kindness towards them. Well, thank you for sharing like a very real example of that. Like in your yeah. life, I, I know that in my life, I I've kind of come home and been like, I'm going to be full Kelsey. I'm not going to be toned down Kelsey. And I, I definitely have been living out that experience of, Oh, I can tell when some of my friends are like, oh, she's a little wild. 
she's right. like much. <laughs> um, and I've processed this with some of my other friends who I like full, truly am just, I let it all hang out with. And one of them said, Kelsey, you do realize like that that is just hilarious and sad all at once. If someone thinks <laughs> you're a little wild, like <laughs> I, I, we were just laughing and she's like, Oh, how the pendulum, you know, swings. Um, because I've never really been viewed as like the wild edgy right. one right but it's like okay like if that's going to be my label it is it's going to be what it's going to be some days it hurts my feelings because I can I can feel the air in the room kind of shift if mm. I kind of say a little too much or am a little edgier than someone would like me to be and it feels like <gasps> I can feel that they think it's too much right now but you know what it's okay but it's okay it's okay I think about, um, I interviewed a therapist once about rejection and about, about that. And she's, we talked about disappointment. Cause I feel like there's, that's a feeling that we often feel with those things. And she said, it's okay for someone to feel disappointed. She's like, that's just a feeling. And it is okay that they are disappointed. You can let them sit in their disappointment. And which is hard for me. Cause I want no one to feel disappointed ever, especially okay. at my hands. Right. And I feel what you're saying is exactly that. It's okay that they feel like, Oh, this feels like a lot. This feels like too much. That's just a feeling. And it is okay for them to feel that feeling and figure out how to manage it. And what is that saying to them about themselves, about how they view others, like all those kind of things. It's okay. And that's one of the things it's hard for me. That's the thing I'm working on too. It's just, it's okay that they feel that way. It's okay. Yeah. It's hard for me to not try to fix their mm -hmm. disappointment. And the obvious yes. fix would for me to just tone down. Change who, no. Yes. Change who you are so that they feel okay. Right. Yeah. That has been, I'm, this is a current lived experience for me. So <laughs> it's hitting home. So one conversation you're having in your book that I think our listeners will totally resonate with is that some Christians believe that when we say we're enough, quote unquote, mm -hmm that it's unbiblical, that mm -hmm. essentially self-worth is unbiblical because the idea is we are worthless until Jesus. But mm -hmm. that's not my line of thought, but it is a broad line yeah. of thought. And I have conversations about this all the time with friends of like, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm a wretch. Um, mm -hmm. And he saved me. Essentially, I'm worthless. And then we see, I see it all the time. Podcasts, Christian culture, talking about the self-worth movement as if it's like yeah. evil, hedonistic, indulgent, all of those things. And I just, I can't get on board that having self-worth is evil. And right. I love that you brought this up in, in your book. I'd love for you to explain that better than me. Yeah, <laughs> you're doing good. Into it. <laughs> yes. No, I, you know, it was a real big shift for me. Again, my kids were such a catalyst for me wrestling with things for me, having to look at, um, belief systems and that I had just kind of, you know, was taught when I was young and held onto it and grew up and never questioned it. And one of them was this idea of worth. And I just remember looking at my girls when they were little and going, gosh, I would never look at them and go, you are such a sinner. Like there is nothing good in you except Jesus. If you, if you one day accept him as your Lord and savior, like it was like one of those, like there's, you know, you were just so depraved. You were just so like evil from the start. You just are full of sin. And these were all things that 
you know, I was told growing up in church and then it's things that, you know, as became adult, you know, how there's things that you just, you don't question, you don't think about, like, if you really think about it, then it's going to start kind of spiraling a little bit, but I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, whatever. That sounds pretty. There's pretty songs that say I'm a, you know, wretch, you saved a wretch like me. And so it was looking at my girls and going, I would never say that. I mean, obviously I know that they're not perfect. Like they make mistakes. They can be mean. They can do awful things to each other. They can throw shoes at each other, like all the things, you know, but I would never think there's nothing good in you. There's nothing good in you. And, and so I had to start really wrestling with that. And, and the more I learned about shame, the more I realized that me acknowledging that I am worthless so that I see my need for Jesus, that is me having to take on a shame identity. You know, shame says I am this guilt says I did this. So I threw a shoe at Kelsey. <laughs> I did. I, I, I should feel guilty that I threw a shoe at Kelsey, right? Because I did something that hurt her. It was unkind, but it doesn't make me a sinner. Like it doesn't, I don't take on the, the identity of that. And so that was a big shift for me. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, in the beginning, God created in people in his image, humans in his image. That is ch Genesis chapter one. If we're going to go, if we're going to use the Bible as any kind of reference Christians, for sure, that's, you know, that's where they're going to. But for so many Christians, instead of starting in Genesis one, they start in Genesis three, which is the fall of man when, you know, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And now they are eternally, you know, like now that the sin entered the world and entered through them and is passed down through generation after generation. And I think, why can't we just start at the beginning of the story again? You know, why can't we go back to starting in Genesis chapter one, that Jesus dying on the cross doesn't give you worth. It proves you're already worthy, right? That's Ooh, yeah. such a different shift than having to believe there's nothing good in you in need of a savior. No. What if it's just that that savior just proves that you already had worth from the beginning? And that's, you were worthy of love and belonging from the beginning, not based on an action that he did. And so that was a big shift for me. And I, you know, and it's shifted how I speak to my girls about those things. Cause the last thing I want to do shame, you can't prevent people from feeling shame, but I want to do as much as I can to not add any extra shame to the lives that they lead. Ooh, yes. And, and we can cultivate shame in our lives by how we talk to ourselves, how we talk to mm. each other. I don't know about you, but being married certainly shows how much I use shaming as a behavioral modification tactic. And if I do that to my husband, I certainly am doing that to myself. Totally. And I don't have kids yet, but if I don't work on that, then it'll definitely bleed out of me when I have them. Yes. And so I, I love everything you have to say here because I, I've kind of felt on an island for a few years now of like, I just can't get on the bandwagon of like, I'm just a worthless sinner. Um, I'd say, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, 
my husband really started this conversation with me. He started noticing it in worship music. Then we moved to Colorado and my best friend there is a pastor and she's like, we're not playing that music. We will not have music that repeatedly sings over ourselves that we are worthless. We're just a sinner. We are going to sing songs over ourselves that remind us of our identity that God thinks we are valuable and I, worth I it. I love that. Good for her. Yeah, and I honestly don't know that I would have been so far down this line had that not been introduced to me years and years ago, because it's taken a moment for me to even be comfortable with that concept. At first, I was like, well, I like those songs. Why can't we just sing them? But there's something that happens when we sing something about our identity that's negative over ourselves over and over and over again. And, so, and you put it to a pretty tune and you're like you know, this has to be true, right? Like you start to believe because she's like, it was so pretty and it makes me feel things. And so it must be true. And that's why we have to, we have to guard what we're saying to ourselves for a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we see these studies all the time of like speaking life over a plant and it flourishes and we speak death over it and it dies. Like words have power. And I just really, I really loved that you're having this conversation in your book, because I think it's really important and a bit countercultural to Christian culture Mm, at the moment. And I wanted people who are tuning in to hear this perspective, not because we just want to feel good and think God's nice and we're like wishing things into existence, but no, like what if this shame-based self-talk we've had and lack of self-worth isn't biblical. It's just traditional, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a, some that'll things are just, yeah. yeah, some things mm-hmm. will just be passed down generationally. Don't, I don't think we're God's intent because why would he give us children and give us compassion towards our children? And we would never speak to our child like that, but we think God speaks to us like that when we're supposed to be his like treasure. Right. I just, it doesn't make sense. Right. So, I mean, you can get me on a soapbox right. with all of that, but right. I am so glad to be having this conversation um, and offer maybe a different perspective to people yeah. tuning in. Yeah. It was certainly a different perspective for me when I first started kind of exploring that idea. Yeah, for sure. If you've been, you know, like you said, that's been handed down to you for so long, it definitely is a scary shift to make that, that sort of thing. But it was, again... Like you, you said this earlier, it took, you know, it took me needing to like think this through for this outside people, my, my kids, for me to really go, oh no, I have to think about this. I like, what am I going to say to them? And what do I want them saying to themselves? This is really important to wrestle with. Where I think if I didn't have kids, it probably would have taken a lot longer for me to wrestle with those sort of things. Yeah, I would say for me, it took me being worried that my husband was a heathen or heretic (laughs) and exploring it because I was scared. And so I want to encourage someone, if you're wrestling, to not be scared of wrestling. I think we've demonized like having questions, wrestling as being the beginning of deconstruction. But what if you reconstruct something beautiful that is aligned with your interpretation of scripture? I'm not saying just develop a belief system based on what you want to feel but what if there is an alternative angle and what if you give yourself permission to wrestle Mm. I love that you started this conversation by 
noticing that you wanted your daughters to feel comfortable asking questions. What has your journey with asking questions led you to? Because I know this is a big book of questions <laughs> around the big stuff. Right, right. Oh my goodness. It's so funny. I have a mentor that she's been my mentor since I was 20. And so she's raised grown kids. I think her youngest is a senior in college now, but she's like, listen, Sarah, if you're wanting to raise kids who ask questions, like just be prepared. It is not going to be easy. Um, she's like, it is not an easy road. But what I have learned through this is that the more that I asked questions, the more curious I was, and that's where the questions started coming from, man, the kinder I was and the less judgmental I was. And so the questions have become so important for me to always ask and to teach my girls to ask about, you know, I try to model it even, you know, lectures don't go very far. So I try to model this in little ways. Like, you know, if they're telling me a story about a friend, you know, Sinclair, came home. I think she was fifth grade and was talking about um, a friend uh, was being made fun of that she was gay. And I said, oh, wow. Well, is she gay? Has she, said, has she said that? She goes, no, she hasn't said anything. I said, well, gosh, how do you think she feels? Like asking, like teaching this model of like, how would you feel if um, you were getting made fun of for just who you are? Like, would that feel good? Would that feel bad? Like it's learning to like modeling to them, asking questions because the sheer fact that, and this is what I saw change in me, that when I started asking questions, I genuinely, my love for humans just grew deeper and deeper because no more did I think I had it all figured out. Like if we are asking questions, it's often because we're, we're coming at it at a posture of like, I could be wrong, or I don't know the answer, or maybe there's not even a right or wrong answer, but I just, I want to, to just ask questions and be curious and get to know someone and connect. And I think that is what I've learned from asking questions, whether that's about relationships or faith. Um, any of those things is that the more questions we can ask, the kinder and less judgmental we become. And I think to piggyback on that, the lie we believe is asking those questions will lead to more uncertainty in our life, but it might just lead to more stability because mm -hmm. you finally giving yourself permission to get answers on things right. you've been too afraid to ask for a right. long time anyway, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so I know that for me, when I have unanswered questions, I feel insecure and unstable. Mm. But when I am brave enough to ask the questions and I finally get an answer, I finally get that stability I'm craving, you know, but sometimes I've just been too, too scared to ask. So yeah, gosh, Sarah, I could talk to you all day long. We should have a second, second conversation about yes. this. Anytime. We'll just, we'll just have our own podcast. We'll just talk every day. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Where can people find you and where can they read more? Yes. Okay. So my website is sarahbragg.com, S-A-R-A-H-B-R-A-G-G. -G, and you can sign up. I do a monthly survival kit newsletter, which is just fun. I, I talk about all the things I've watched, read, listened to, and loved that month. And then Instagram is Sarah W. Bragg and Surviving Sarah's Podcast. And of course, you can just buy A Mother's Guide to Raising Herself wherever you want to buy books. It's everywhere anywhere books are sold and leave yeah. a review people because oh, it matters. It does matter. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving to yes. every author yes. you've ever, ever read. Right. So. And I am telling people if they leave a review to message me, whether it's Instagram or the contact me page on my website and tell me you left one and send me your address and I will send you a handwritten thank you note 
And I have a little sticker decal that says, what made you smile today? That's one of the chapters in the book on gratitude. And so I will send that to whoever leaves a review as a little thank you. I have the what makes you smile today sticker and it's so cute y'all. So May and Sarah, thank you for joining us today. It has been a pleasure and I can't wait to hear more of conversations from Sarah, musings from Sarah out in the world because you always get me thinking. So thank you for joining us and thank you for writing this book. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to get to kick the podcast back off. Woohoo! Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other.